Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, from the borough of Queens, in the city of New York, this is the Epic Piecast with your hosts, Nelson Lugo and Schaefer the Dark Lord. Gentlemen, from the beautiful and spacious studio sexy and story queens, this is the epic highest episode 52. I am your host, Schaefer Vedarkord. And I sound like this. I am alone. Nelson Luko is not here. This month, I will be joined by Francine the Lucid Dream as we discuss the return of Shwan Beaks. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, my guest on the program this month is a photographer, actor, filmmaker, burlesque performer, burlesque producer, and the single most passionate Twin Peaks fan I have ever known. Please welcome back to the program, Francine, The Lucid Dream. Hi, Schaefer. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for coming back. It's been a long time. It has. I love it when we have a returning guest. I'm um, glad to be a returning guest because that means I didn't completely fuck it up the first time. You were great the first time. <laughs> the last time you were here, it was episode nine, which was in April of 2013. Wow. Let's listen to a clip. I know you're a diehard David Lynch fan. You're specifically a diehard Twin Peaks fan. I got to know. I've always had this suspicion. Can you speak in that backwards speak the way that the oh. dancing man from another place who uh, in the Black Lodge, can you do that backwards speak? Oh, wow. Yeah, I can try. Sure. Just go ahead. Just give it a shot. Okay. We have been from Burlesque. Yes. Filled with secrets. Oh, my God. You actually can do it. And that was you four years ago. Super creepy. Yes. Super, <laughs> super creepy. Francine, you are the producer of The Pink Room, David Lynch Burlesque, a burlesque troupe who has been performing striptease tributes to the works of David Lynch for, gosh, how long? Oh, my God. Over six years now. Good. Over six years. God. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you've talked about this a million times when uh whenever you're interviewed for anything and i'm sure you talked about it four years ago but tell us again about the pink room burlesque and and how it came to be okay so this was back in 2010 i believe i was taking a class at the new york new york school of burlesque uh with a bunch of friends uh gemini rising foxy vermouth amelia bear parts um and satanica and we hadn't even had our first performance yet we were just studying with dr lucky and we were going out to see a show that night, and we were, you know, I was just like, we're just gabbing, like throwing out like ideas, bouncing off ideas from one another, and uh, I was, I just had this idea for a Twin Peaks burlesque, and I thought it was kind of crazy. I didn't even know if they had seen Twin Peaks the show, but I mentioned it, and they were all like, "What? That's an amazing idea!" Even uh, Amelia Bearparts had already had that idea, and I think she like suggested it at another show once, <laughs> um, and I was first shocked that they were interested mm-hmm. in being a part of it um but we decided to do this one show which i thought was going to be a one-off um at the parkside lounge which uh drew an enormous crowd um there were people lined up around the corner to get in uh which was not what we were expecting i my uh anticipated problems as a, an early producer was that no one would show up of um, but so many people showed up and it was uh wonderfully overwhelming uh, but it was great, and uh, we decided we needed to do it again. We did it again, I think, the next month. I think you came to that show. I came to that I, that show as a civilian and a fan um, because I had read that somebody who I – well, I knew you at that point. I'd met yeah. you. I didn't really know you, but I'd met you under a previous stage name. Right. And I think I was a stage kitten for a show that you were yeah, hosting it's or true. performing in. Yeah, yeah, at the Delancey? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I went to that show just as an audience member, as a, a longtime fan of Twin Peaks and a fan of burlesque, uh, and it was amazing. And you know, you're—it's kind of interesting that you know these days people doing a burlesque show that is themed around a pop culture property is common. It's those shows are as common as classic burlesque shows, where somebody says, 
gosh, you know what? I really love Scrubs. I'm going to do a burlesque <laughs> show based on Scrubs. And in a way, it almost feels like at times that people are competing to grab a hold of a property that they're a fan of before somebody else can get right. to it. And I feel like The Pink Room was one of the first shows I ever saw like that. You were doing that before before everybody started. So yeah. has anyone done, done Scrubs burlesque? Uh, I, can, I, can I claim that? You absolutely. <laughs> I think you just did. I think it's on record in front of one listener, and it is now claimed as yours. Done. <laughs> Uh, but I thought it was amazing. It was just, it was everything that I loved. It was, it was, it was such a commitment to this property. Everybody's acts were on point and their costumes and every act had a, had a reveal that was a, a reference for fans. The, the raffle prizes were references to fans, the playlists of music. It was just wonderful. And that was, you know, six years ago when you started. And since then, it's blown up quite a bit. Yeah, I think maybe part of it was because I thought it was going to be like a one-off and then we did this basically the same show a second time. But I, I was like, this had better represent Twin Peaks. So I was like, let's go for it. Let's do, you know, the cocktail list, like awesome raffle prizes, everything. Like oh, yeah, this has co- to cocktails. like. <laughs> um, and it was the first show I'd ever produced. So I was like, let's go for it. Um, but yeah, it's grown pretty substantially. It was one of those things like, uh, like I said, like I had to, I had my friends from, the school of burlesque who were jumping in they were excited to be in in the show but at the time i didn't know if anyone would want to be in it mm-hmm. now you know, a lot of people want to be in not sure actually no i shouldn't say that because i'm still always looking for new performers it's always great when new people i don't know want to come in and do something that we haven't seen before so sure but i i feel like they probably have pretty high criteria to pass because oh yeah yeah if a casual fan of of burlesque and say twin peaks you know to heard that those two things had been combined. They might go to the show expecting to see, well, there's going to be saddle shoes and cherry pie and coffee and and they're going to have plaid skirts and they're going to dance around to the soundtrack. And then you give them a show where Pete Martell comes out <laughs> and and pulls fish out of his pants. <laughs> you know? I definitely have high standards for all performers for this show because it's like, it's my baby. It's I'm so passionate about it. So I want like every act to represent the character or theme that it's it's trying to represent uh properly and but it should also be a lot of fun (laughs) so yeah i definitely put a lot of thought into casting for sure and it's it's, since then since your those first two twin peaks shows six years ago seven Mm -hmm. years ago however long it was you've done uh, tribute shows to other david lynch films you've done an annual miss twin peaks pageant you created a thing, and then you've managed to keep expanding upon that thing, which also, I, th- I feel, is what sets it apart from lots of kind of pop culture reference burlesque. You gave this show to everybody and said, here is a burlesque show that tributes Twin Peaks. Ta-da! <laughs> Here's a dozen more, because <laughs> we've got a lot of material left to do, and you just, you've kept going. I mean, that's the, the great thing about Twin Peaks is that there's so many characters from the show. Like, we've been doing this six and a half years, and there's still, like, a bunch of, like, pretty major characters that have not been in the show so that's what gives me energy to like keep doing it and keep finding new things to do of those characters of those major (laughs) characters in the show that you've never had represented in in a pink room burlesque show Pick, like, say, your top three. Okay. This is going out to established members of the burlesque community. <laughs> well, first like of all, see. maybe you should run through a list of, of some of the established staples that, that make it into oh, most of the shows. So if you've seen Twin Peaks and you know what burlesque is and you put those words together, you're going to think Audrey Horn, mm-hmm. right? That's Absolutely. the first thing I thought of. I think that's uh, – it's hard to do a show without an Audrey Horn. She's designed for it. Um, 
Shelley Johnson. Mm. Laura Palmer. Of course, Laura Palmer. Um, in fact, I have to mention the first show we ever did, I ended up doing a Laura Palmer act, mainly because no one else chose that character. Really? And I was like, I can't do, again, a one-off. I can't do a show without Laura Palmer. So I ended up doing Laura Palmer, and that's like one of my staple acts now. The Laura Palmer act you do now is from... From then, yeah. from back then, from the yeah, the first show I ever did was uh, Sycamore Trees, mm-hmm. the singing and stripping number, and then the Laura Palmer number, and the, yeah, those are my two. I feel like that's probably how you knew you had the right crew on hand when you picked a bunch <laughs> of burlesque performers and none of them picked Laura Palmer. Right? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of people who are like, I want to do, I want to be the Log Lady. Log, sure. log Lady is the next one. That's like yeah. a, a pretty amazing character. Uh, something you would absolutely, <laughs> even a fair weather Twin Peaks fan, you would expect to see the Log Lady. Exactly. Um, the character that I always wanted to do, which I didn't get to do the first time because I had to do Laura Palmer. You had to have a Laura. You have to, yeah. Nadine Hurley. Nadine Hurley. <laughs> Good old so you, Nadine. You went, You walked away from that first show going, I really want a Nadine Hurley I act. really wanted to do a Nadine Hurley act, but I, there wasn't, you know, I was already doing this one singing number I wanted to do. Had to do the Laura Palmer number. It was my first show producing. I felt like two acts was a lot. That was a lot for one show. Um, but the very first Miss Twin Peaks pageant, I got to do my Nadine act. Yes, then that's... just a few short years later, <laughs> you uh, you created the Nadine Hurley act, which is one of my very favorite pink room acts ever. <laughs> it's it's so insane. It's so loaded with references. It's set to a great, just a perfect song selection, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. <laughs> um, which then every time I'm wearing a show and you do it, it's stuck in my head. Yeah. For, you which know, you won't get if you've only seen season one. You need to uh, stick out the whole <laughs> second season to to get some of the references. Um, but yeah, that one's excellent. But there's still got to be some. There's still got to be some characters left in there that, okay. that you've always wanted. The ones I've always wanted to see, Teresa Banks. Oh, Yeah. Teresa Banks would be so good. I, I'm there. There have been a few people I've been like trying to, uh, you know, coerce them into uh, doing a Teresa Banks act. Still waiting for that. Um, we have not seen yet a Philip Jeffries. There's not been a Philip Jeffries act, and he was a you know kind of a throwaway character, a David Bowie cameo in Firewalk with Me. But as the mythology of Twin Peaks keeps expanding. Philip Jeffries' role keeps becoming more and more significant. Absolutely. I suppose we'll talk more about that yeah, later, we'll save though. That for later. Yeah. I've always wanted to see a Ben Horn or yes. sh- uh, Sheriff Truman. There's never been a Sheriff Truman. I would really love to see a Sheriff Truman. Uh, I think Benjamin Horn would be a good uh, host. Well, <laughs> so in, 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 in full disclosure, I didn't go the first time, and then I heard that there was an opportunity to see this show again. So I'm a stranger and went to this show. And. I don't remember exactly how the conversation went down, but I feel like after that show, I just kind of threw myself at you <laughs> and said, everything you're doing is wonderful. This is the best show I've ever seen. I love <laughs> Twin Peaks so much. I I can do impressions of characters. I'll do anything to host this show. <laughs> it's so funny. You told me that. And I don't remember it being like that, but I, I feel like I should dig through some emails. And uh... Oh, God, please don't. Please, please don't. I have to go through my old email account to find that one, but it might be worth it. I have such a tremendous <laughs> amount of shame for everything I've done in the past. I'm, I, The way I remember it, uh, I had very little self-respect. Well, and I feel thank like, God for your lack of self-respect because yeah. we gained a great host out of it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And now I have spent the last six years uh, making costumes of characters <laughs> from a show that was canceled 25 years ago. One of the things I did do when I first begged for this job was I feel like I tried to sweeten the deal by saying, if you let me host, 
I'll write a song for your show. I'll write, I'll, I'll write a rap song about David Lynch if I could just be a part of it. If memory serves, the song wasn't coming along very well as we were leading up to a Mulholland Drive show was the first show that you hired yeah, me for. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to get out of it. And I, re- and I don't really? remember this. And yeah, I, oh, I, I did. Like at the last minute, I was like, yeah, this song isn't really working. I don't, I don't think it's very good. You kind of responded with, yeah, why don't you just give it a shot? <laughs> <laughs> I made a promise for this job. I have to finish this. And then, and then persevered. And that became the song that I now do every time. That's hilarious. I don't remember that being the case, but um, that's really funny. I'm glad I, I said what I did. Fast forward many yeah. years later, and that song has now played a new role yeah. in our relationship. I remember the first time performing it, and you killed it. And I think even backstage, backstage, and like the audience just ate it up. We all loved it. Even backstage, we were just dying for it. And I think you came backstage, and I was like, I gave you like thumbs up. Yeah. And it was just like that moment, like, yeah, this is great. Um, and I can't remember when it was probably like even a couple of years after that until the first time I said, I was like, you know what? We should like make a music video for this song. That'd be cool. Right. Yeah. And I had these, all these ideas. Um, but you know, I was thinking like, well, how could we make this work? Like who could we hire to make this video? How can we come up with the funds to do this? I have no idea. And then I think I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was like, this is dumb. I'm a photographer. I have some. A, you know a camera that has like really like professional like video capabilities and I, I went to school for film why am I not doing this myself so I figured this is a good opportunity to try and shoot it myself and with the help of um, Amelia Bearparts, who in her her day job is uh, works in cinema mm-hmm. we decide you know let's do this together so we I don't even remember how we actually started doing I don't know when it when it we made the leap from like that would be cool if we made a music video to like we're actually going to do this like a few years passed yeah i know that when we the first things that we shot were the scenes where i am jacoby and the one-armed man right because oh, right. because it was in may of 2015 and i had a beard which is rare because i don't grow beards very often and i had one and i was at my at the end of it and i said hey if we're going to shoot this thing you might and you want to get these characters represented we need to shoot very soon because i'm going to shave i cannot stand this anymore so we can thank your beard for all this kind of it kind of created a arbitrary deadline to get it started then the gas was turned on i'm sure you remember because uh I made you do a lot of takes Mm -hmm. for every single thing we shot, but especially that first, because I was getting used to it. I was just like figuring out how to give you direction because I'm used to, as a photographer, I'm used to giving direction, but it's a completely different scenario working in film. And I hadn't done anything since, honestly, since college. Um, But yeah, there's so much untapped footage from, I think I made you like cry as Jacoby so many times. Crying as Jacoby. That was, that was almost (laughs) the first thing that we shot. And I'm not an actor and, and (laughs) it was a lot of work. So we shot for like, God, how long? The entire thing. So that was when, that that was March. That was May, 2015. May. May, 2015. Okay. So we, so it was over just over a year. Because a lot of, you know, we did a lot of stuff, like smaller shoots like that, where it was just like you, me, and Amelia. Um, but then there were other shoots where we needed to get a lot of the cast members from the pink room there. And so that takes a lot of, like, you know, scheduling. Yeah. It's always, it was tough. Busy yeah. New York City performers. Yeah. Uh, getting everyone in the same room together and getting locations that we needed for it. Um, shooting in the woods was one thing. That was actually pretty fun. Shooting in the woods. Cre- was, creepy, but fun. Was fun. <laughs> that was... I think that that one was the one that was probably the most 
uh, grueling for me because <laughs> it was it was summertime, so it was hot. Like I was just I was like wiping myself down in between takes because I was just sweating. Um, but also, and I never told anybody on set, I was really scared the whole time because <laughs> I'm afraid of the woods. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm I'm legit afraid of the woods. Can I give away the the deep woods that we were in though? Oh yeah, absolutely. The scary uh, Central Park. <laughs> Look, it may have been Central Park. It may have been in the center of Manhattan, but uh, it was in a part of it that I've never been. Like I, yeah, no, there was no. We we were deep enough in that there was no visible civilization anywhere. Yeah. No, I highly re- anyone who can get to Central Park, go there. Go to the, the the most northern part of it. It's actually really beautiful, and it's very quiet at night. I for me, it was scary not because it would, it felt desolate, but because like there was like. A few sketchy dudes like walking oh, that, through there. That's I think that's why it scared me. I have yeah. I have a fear of rural woods and urban yeah. woods, as I learned that yeah. night. Yeah, it it was definitely intense, and it was we were expecting thunderstorm. I think there was supposed to be lightning storms that night too. Yeah, which we missed. But yeah, there's a hot. shot in the music video of a flashlight passing over a tree that's like carved with a heart in it. Yeah, is that legit? Is that from the woods? Is that from Central Park? Oh yeah, I think we were shooting that uh, while you were taking a break or something because we had just done like multiple shots of you lip syncing to the song mm-hmm. so we were just like shooting cutaway shots that so there. if somebody out there is a huge fan of the pinker burlesque they could go on a little scavenger mm-hmm. hunt they could go into central park and look for that tree and then they would find our location could find that maybe we even buried half of a heart necklace that somewhere out there and they oh could find my it. goodness yeah that footage is out there so yeah, good luck. I'm not going with you if yep. any of you choose to do it because I, I've, I've had enough of being in the in the woods. Do you have any other fears? Oh, my God. I have so many fears. How about ones that are kind of related to, like, nature and the woods that, <laughs> that you share with a character on Twin Peaks? <laughs> uh, I don't like birds. I like to say I don't like birds, and it's a, kind of this indignant thing, like, I think they're gross. I don't like their creepy little dinosaur feet. I don't like that they can poop on us from above. But I think it's, I think my dislike of birds is a little bit deeper than that. And I think I might, I might be a a little afraid of birds. So you made a David Lynch movie, which is the name of the song, if I didn't make that clear. There's, uh, and there's a couple of different versions of it. Yes. Correct. So we shot so much footage, as you know, because I mean, mm-hmm. you do so many takes. Sure. Um, so trying to edit this down, you know, I originally intended for it to be like a, I don't know, four to six minute music video um, with a little bit, you know, story before and after. Um, but it turned into a 20 minute short film. When I tell people about it, I liken it to the old long form music video from the 80s. Right. You know, yes. Michael, Jackson's, Michael mm-hmm. Jackson's Thriller came yeah. out. It's a short film, but. They wouldn't just show that on MTV in regular rotation. There was a there was a version of it that was cut down to just represent the three and a half minutes of the song. And then, if you could get your hands on the laser disc, you could mm-hmm. see the the full length version. So there there's a version of it that has been released online on YouTube. That's just the music video. Correct. Yeah. The full length version, the twenty minutes where there's there's more story and there's there's scenes that don't make it into the music video. That version exists out there. And it has been seen by people. It has. Uh, so far, I, it actually uh, premiered at the Coney Island Film Festival mm-hmm. uh, last September. And then since and it's, it's played at other festivals, it was at the uh, Cosmic Film Festival in Orlando, um, the Flathead International Cinema Fest um, in Montana, birthplace of David Lynch, oh. in case anyone wasn't aware. Nice. Um, where else? Oh, we played it at NerdFest Toronto. I know that... I'm I'm sure you do too. I have fans that are 
still kind of chomping at the bit for that. Um, perhaps someday they'll get to see it. And here's spoiler: there's dialogue. There's dialogue. I should say that uh, we shot at like three thirty in the morning at Parkside Lounge. Yeah, the, the <laughs> scenes from the music video were were on stage and performing in Dune costumes. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot more to that scene that was shot as we closed a bar at daybreak and really upset the guy who was working. Yeah. I think, uh, actually, this is like the big teaser. It's going to be for like Dune fans. Like mm-hmm. if you want to see the Dune segment, you have to you have to see the 20-minute version. It's true. A lot of the, the Dune shots get cut. So but Yeah, you get to hear us like having a conversation. It's like, kind of like a dorky conversation. Kind of like, like what we're having now, just like banter, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But it was... Stuff that I, I had scripted ahead of time mm-hmm. and then at three o'clock in the morning could not remember <laughs> the words too. It was a long yeah. night. That was a, it was a very long that night. Was a, that was a pretty yeah. intense shoot. Um, that was actually kind of crazy because I forgot. I uh, So I we did the shoot and Amelia shot a lot of it. But um, I also did a performance that night. Yeah. I, so I went and did um, Lady Jessica from Dune. Um, and just to get like audience shots, I actually did my Dune number. Yeah. You had to do it a couple of times, too, right? I think I only did it once. Okay. I think, yeah, because, like, oh, did I? No, because, yeah, taking it off and then putting it back on again is, like, a whole process, so. Yeah, that was a really great live audience that That you scared up. They were, I mean, fans and friends of the the Pink Room who came out and. Pretty last minute, too. Pretty last minute. Yeah, you gathered them pretty quickly. Yeah. And they gave tons of energy for a bunch of people who sat still and listened to the same song <laughs> 600 times for four That's hours. Right. They were uh, They were wonderful. So shout out to weirdos who probably don't listen to this podcast. So far, the, the late spring has turned into the season of, of Twin Peaks for the Pink Room. Within a couple week period, all of the things we're about to talk about happened. One of them, a David Lynch movie, the music video, was released online. Uh, shortly after that, Another video was released online. Tell us about that. You may have seen online. Twin Peaks, The Phenomenon, which was a, uh, a documentary, a short documentary produced by Showtime um, that we all got to be in. And I guess I should start from the beginning. Yeah, sure. I'll go into some personal stuff. We all have, you know, dark thoughts or, we, you know, you have days when you're a little grumpy, thinking the worst. Just, you know, nothing's going right. And I was having one of those days where things were just were not going right. And the one thing that was going right in my life was the Pink Room Burlesque because it brings me so much joy to put on these shows and I was really excited about it. And I was just having one of those moments where I'm like, you know what, I bet the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get I'm going to get like a cease and desist letter from like Showtime. Mm-hmm. That's my that was my worst thought. I'm like, they're just going to shut it down because we're using intellectual property, blah, blah, blah. The same exact day, I got a message on Facebook from a producer from Showtime. And it, who asked if we, if I would be interested in being in a Twin Peaks documentary? Or, or actually, there was not, there wasn't even that much detail at first. It was just like, would you like to be interviewed and be in a shoot? That's all it said. And I was like, and I was still, you know, like this can't be, this can't be yeah. happening. Like, as I, you know, googling the producer, like, does he really exist? Oh, he really exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh my god. Um, and then, you know, getting in touch with the Showtime people, and they were fantastic, and they were doing this. 15-minute uh, documentary on Twin Peaks, which, you know, starting from the fandom of Twin Peaks primarily, um, starting from the early days in the 90s and leading up to today. And the third part of it, which is the art that has is being formed, inspired by Twin Peaks and David Lynch. 
Um, and it was everything from like the music. They featured um, the band Silencio and uh, Peter Dom from Welcome to Twin Peaks was in it and a bunch of other amazing, talented people. Um, and yeah, we uh, the Pink Room got to be in it. They came to a show. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think it's okay to say now that we basically put on for them. <laughs> oh yeah, we had to, you had to keep that secret for months. Oh yeah, and we were all yeah. like just following your lead. We don't say anything <laughs> until Francine says something. So we had done, um, as some people know, like I used to do, you know, the Twin Peaks uh, or David Lynch Burlesque. It was like a monthly show, and now it's you know quarterly with occasional touring. Each show that we do, put we put a lot of detail into it. It takes a lot of work, so we're you know we're not just like cranking out weekly shows or anything. Um, there's a lot of thought and time and preparation put into each one. So when this happened and they were working on this documentary within a, you know, a short time frame, basically decided like, you know, are they were like, they based, showtime people asked, uh, are you doing any shows? And I didn't say no. I just said, well, yes. When do you need to shoot this? Yeah. Bye. <laughs> we'll make this happen. So we put this show together. I mean, luckily part of it, I want to say it was difficult the casting was not difficult because I immediately knew like the people who had to be in it. So Showtime came. We there were a lot of like details we were trying to work out, making sure it was going to happen, and you know were they actually going to be able to come and shoot it? And they did, and they came and they shot the entire show. We did an interview backstage at Joe's Pub, um, but yeah, it was a dream come true. Number one, just from like fangirl perspective, just to be, it felt validating to have someone from Showtime come, and obviously they're talking to. The big guy. Yeah. And the big guy is DL. Yeah. And it was it was cool because we got to, like, you know, make some money for Meals on Wheels. Yeah. And oh, yeah, that's egg. right. It was right around yeah. the time when all of these oh, programs yeah. <laughs> were being uh, cut by He Who Shall But Not Be Named. Exactly. And it was, it was like, that week or, or the week it, before yeah. or something that the, the Meals on Wheels program was going yeah. to be one of the ones that was defunded. So And I was – I've been wanting to do, like, a, a fundraiser show for a long time. And I was like, this is – an extra show we did not plan on this year. Let's just, yeah, let's just do this. And and then it just hand the opportunity presented itself. It was just for perfect meals timing. on wheels mm-hmm. of all things. <laughs> um, I, I have to thank you because you gave me like one of the greatest velvet rope experiences of my life. Because at the show that we we staged for Showtime at Joe's Pub in March, that's when they shot your interview in the dressing right. room. Right, I forgot this happened before. Yeah, I appear in it briefly too. Uh, doing my <laughs> Gordon Cole impression. I shot mine at South by Southwest. I was down there performing this year and Showtime had a Twin Peaks house party thing that was going on the whole time. You could show up and, you know, they had swag and they had stage with bands playing that was dressed to look like the Black Lodge. And I wanted to go see it, but I'd had friends who had tried to go earlier in the same day that I was and they were like, you're not getting in. There's a line around the block. So you had messaged me while I was down there and said, hey, I'm talking to the producers right now. I've been, like, emailing this producer, and he said, if you're down there, you should uh, you should stop by the party, and they might want to talk to you about this for this, this documentary thing. And I went there and saw the line around the block and was like, <laughs> this isn't even worth it. I'm not spending all afternoon standing right. in this line. But then I'm messaging you, and you're like, oh, no, he says just go in. Just go in. <laughs> I just got to walk to the front of the line. Just tell them who you are. And I was like, hi, I don't, I think somebody's expecting me. And they, they sent a producer from the show down to talk to me. And I said, hi, uh, my friend Francine wrote, uh, I think she was messaging you. And this woman was like, you must be the Dark Lord. <laughs> and off the top of my head, I cannot name a single experience in my life where I felt as cool. And then I got to just cut this huge line and go in yeah and then chat with them and they were all very friendly <laughs> and they were like come back tomorrow we'd like to interview you for the thing 
interview me for the thing. <laughs> I shot an interview and he asked me if I wanted to add anything to the interview. And I said, you want to hear my Golden Cole impression? And he said, sure. And then I did it and they all laughed. And he said, hey, you know, Dave Lynch is going to see this, right? And I said, uh, uh. <laughs> so we had like several weeks yeah, of that experience. That was so exciting. And I remember just like, I remember I knew you were going to South by and I was just excited for you, but also jealous because I used to go like get to shoot shows years ago sure. and I missed those days. And um, and you're a musician, and that's awesome, and you get to perform. And I was just like, you're there, and then the sunshine, and eating tacos, and walking around, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was so cool when I was in touch with, I, I just wanted to make sure that you got to meet these people and got to see this event, and I was so happy you made it in. Um, and also got to do that interview because at the time I still was like not 100% sure that we were gonna be able to find this spot for the, them to film us doing the show so I was like at least Schaefer got to do the interview he got to do the impersonation and that has to make it in and it did yeah it, it, uh, so that thing came out online and we were all just just beside ourselves that not only that we made it in but that we mm -hmm. were featured that much they showed so much of it um, yeah it was amazing so just to go back I think it was like that Thursday we released a David Lynch movie online the video and then the Monday, mm -hmm. it was a Monday when they released the third part of the phenomenon. And it was just, we were just over the moon because uh, it had a great clip of you in, at South By. Um, my a little piece of my interview made it in and there were performances by Bunny Buxom, Boo Boo Darlin. Um, Amelia Bearparts as a log lady, like was yep. heavily featured. Oh, it's like mostly her. Yeah, and that was amazing. Uh, the Pink Room Dreams made it in, the group number, that was super cool. Um, and then me doing my Sycamore Trees number. Oh, I yeah. that was it. Yeah, but it was like, it was pretty amazing. And I think we also learned that um, David Lynch is our friend. Oh, yeah, because he <laughs> has that line where he says anybody. You know what? That well, reminds me. Yeah. Let's take a listen to a clip from Ooh, Showtime's okay. documentary series, Twin Peaks, The Phenomenon, Part 3. The fan art alone is extraordinary. I will meet you at the Portland airport. Oregon! Fandom. Really, really passionate fandom. I feel has kept it alive. These are people that the show is a very powerful influence on creatively, and it's a community. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Francine the Lucid Dream. I had this really weird idea. I was like, why, why don't we do a Twin Peaks burlesque night? The quirky humor and the really dark, crazy stuff that happens in Twin Peaks is the perfect combo for burlesque. Anybody that creates is a friend of mine. Yep, that settles it. We are friends I'm, with Dave right? Lynch. Yeah. I mean, we, it, I mean, we create. It so. follows. <laughs> his quote follows a shot of you. That's true. Yeah. He, David Lynch just said that you are his friend. Yeah. I mean, I know, I think he's talking about all people who make art, but it was hard to not feel like just for just one second that maybe he was talking to me. You have created this thing and the rest of us are always trying to be our very best to execute the thing that you want to do. So I think I can't speak for everybody, but for me, when I saw like that, they put that shot of David Lynch saying anyone who creates is a friend of mine right after you. I felt like that was a victory for us on your behalf. Oh. because. <laughs> Thank because you. none of us would get to do this. And, and obviously it was something that all of us have an, a tremendous amount of fuel for because it's been seven years and we're all still going at this really hard. 
and still trying to like keep doing new things. Yeah. We're all just kind of fighting for your uh, approval because we none of us got it from our family. No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we got to see the yeah. video online. But what's great is because we both obviously got Showtime subscriptions so that we yeah. could watch the new season of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. They started running those. They started running those yeah. segments of that documentary. It was amazing. And that was, I mean, it was super cool to see it online, of course. Um, and then the following week, I think we were together right before viewing uh, the new Twin Peaks. And it just it came on right before yeah. the very first new episode. And it was so surreal because we were in a room filled with most of the people who were in that clip. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was kind of magical. So that was on Monday. Oh, yeah, that, that was that week. was just Monday of that week. <laughs> Thursday, David Lynch movie comes out. Monday, Twin Peaks Phenomenon comes out. Tuesday. Tuesday. Ooh, Tuesday oh, Tuesday was a big... Lordy, what happened Tuesday? Tuesday. Okay, well, we have to go back a little bit. We're we, have to, about... we have to go back to so, March. Yeah, March. The March show at Joe's Pub. While I am in a car on my way to Joe's Pub, I'm checking my email, and I got an email um, from a person who works at Barbecue Films, who is this cool like, production company that does, like, TV and movie themed events and they basically reached out to me and said do you want to be a part in of this Twin Peaks tribute that we are doing in conjunction with Showtime so it was like an official pop-up tribute to Twin Peaks that they wanted to feature the Pink Room Burlesque in so I mean I'm super excited I, I have like a zillion things in my mind trying to get through this show but like I'm in the car on my way and I was like well yeah we can talk about details but absolutely yes yeah. Um, and then I think I, the whole night, I think I was trying to be really secretive with like you and the rest of the cast because I didn't know what would, it was going to, to entail. I didn't know who they wanted in the show. Was it just going to be a couple burlesque acts or whatever? So I'm being really secretive because I didn't want to get anyone's like <laughs> hopes up and like disappoint people if they couldn't be in it or blah, blah, blah. Um, by the end of the night, it was just like a drunken mess. After the show, we had a blast, and everyone's just like talking about it because they had already, I think they already asked all of you guys to be in it yeah. separately. Well, <laughs> somebody from BBQ Films yeah. kind of uh, <laughs> spilled the beans at, at, right after the show in March and said, like, we do these immersive events where we just create an atmosphere that's a tribute to something. We've done things based on Blade and Mean <laughs> Girls and American Psycho and Ghostbusters, and we'd really love to do Twin Peaks thing think we'd really love to have the pinker come and do it and i don't know if any of us if it really like stuck with any of us because it wasn't an official conversation right. it sounded like new york schmoozy networky talk sure. after the show uh, no offense leia uh it's just that's <laughs> we're performers we have a defense shield built in so i don't think any of us took it yeah. seriously until w- you got an official right email i think i played it super cool that night like you got, i heard other people talking about it. i was like that'd be cool in in my mind, I was like, "This has to happen. <laughs> we have to do this." And I and I so I was really hopeful that we could do, you know, a full show. We want like yeah, and I, but I didn't know what to expect. Just to set this scene, they, this this place, Brooklyn Bazaar, which I don't even really understand what it is, but it's a multi leveled event space that was probably once used, we'll say for weddings. Yeah, I think I believe it was like a formerly like a, a Polish like event hall and these these people from bbq films and their attention to detail to the things they love they they dressed every inch of this place to look like 
locations from the original Twin Peaks. And there's a, there's a diner built into it. Mm-hmm. And they the double R pop-up diner that was at South by Southwest was there. And they, you know, you have the sign and the counters and they served pie and coffee. Uh, and then they had one room that they dressed to look like the Palmer's living room, but really mm-hmm. made it look like nine Palmer living rooms. Like they just got all of this old furniture and old televisions. Oh, yeah. And they just had several different living room setups within it. Uh, then there was a, a live music room, which was dressed to look like the Black Lodge and had red curtains and, and uh, chevron flooring. Um, in the basement, they, it was the Twin Peaks Lodge, which was I kept calling the Great Northern because it looked like a kind of rustic hotel that had right. karaoke rooms in it. Oh, yeah. Showtime was there handing out swag because it was the week that the, the, the show premiered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they just let opened it up to the public and said, hey, everybody, come and check this out. And so all these fans came out and packed it immediately Mm -hmm. in in their costumes. And then we did, in addition to doing three mini sets of Pinker Burlesque in three different locations, we were also walked around in costume all night because as fans of Twin Peaks, I would be hard-pressed to find somebody who knows these characters better than we do at this point because of how we've watched these things frame by frame. Yeah. I would say, aside from, like, the actors who actually play the characters, like, and David Lynch, we're, we're pretty we're pretty on top of I, it. It was amazing to see uh, Nadine Hurley grab a bunch of people from a performance and then take them with her down to the basement to sing karaoke. <laughs> it was a three-hour event. And I personally was doing three numbers, like, three burlesque numbers um, and walk around and honest, I mean, I'm so glad I did the acts that I did, but honestly, I could have just done Nadine Hurley walk around the entire night, and that would have, at least for me personally, would have been a blast. I mean, I always, like, obviously I do bits with you on stage, but I've never had a chance to, like, really go out into, like, the world and just be Nadine and just be insane, and it was so much fun. Oh, yeah. And doing karaoke as Nadine in a room full of, like, strange young men <laughs> who I got to, like, hit on <laughs> was... It was a dream that I never knew I had, but it was fulfilled that night. <laughs> it was presented to you by BBQ Films and <laughs> yes, Flavor Pill and you. Showtime. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was also extra fun for you because, you know, picking people to interact with, you know, so many of the civilian fans who attended the thing were in costume as characters. So you yes. could address them as their characters and kind of made them more of a part of it, too. Yeah, that was a blast. I was really excited to see all the people who just fans dressed up. <laughs> yeah, there's like there is no show that I have ever any there's no live performance that I have ever been a part of that I can liken that to it was so much fun um yeah I'd love to do it all the time I know out there showtime flavor pill barbecue films if you guys want to do that take it on tour if you are hosting an event (laughs) and you are interested in hiring a number of professional Twin Peaks cosplayers you can write to us at epicpiecast at gmail.com and we will put you in touch with Francie and the Lucid Dream. This is not a joke. No, this <laughs> not is no, a joke no, we are all. not kidding. Yeah. Seriously, if you want to have like a Twin Peaks themed wedding, mm-hmm. uh, Francine. We can uh, do we can do the burlesque or not burlesque. I'm happy to do yeah. either, you know. Yeah, we could striptease or non striptease. Just bring flavor. But if you want like Nadine Hurley to marry you at your Twin Peaks themed <gasps> wedding. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. So anyway, get in touch with Evan Piecast. <laughs> At gmail.com, and we'll put you in touch with Francine. Now, so again, to cover that two-week period, it was <laughs> Thursday, David Lynch movie came out. Monday, the Showtime documentary came out. Tuesday, we did the BBQ Films immersive event. Yeah, so the most epic Twin Peaks event. Already in ever. less than a week, we're having more of a concentration of Twin Peaks experiences than we have had in years. And then, that Sunday... After 25 years, 
David Lynch walked our best friend back into our lives. It was like seeing... It actually, I did feel like it was seeing a lot of old friends. It was a thing that diehard fans never thought was going to happen. And even when they said it was in production, I don't know about you, but a part of me was always braced like, this thing's going to fall apart and it's going to be done. It's oh, not. I was thinking, and this probably goes along with the whole like negative thinking of thinking I was going, you know, Showtime was going to send the cease and desist. I was thinking this isn't going to happen. Something terrible is going to happen before. I don't know. Like production is going to, like there were all these like the money issues that happened like early on in the talks and blah, blah, blah. But then also like what could happen? Like our uh, current leader <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could blow us all up and like maybe it'll be done, but we won't ever get to see it because we'll all be. Dead. Dust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, so all the negative thoughts. But yeah, no, it's we, there we were all together as friends, which was a wonderful way of viewing it. It really was to, uh, to watch the premiere. Yeah. And it happened and it was, it was wonderful. I, and I feel like uh, we have listeners who are fans of Twin Peaks. And now that we have talked at length about our credentials as Twin Peaks super fans, I feel like we should just go ahead and give our thoughts on the season. Maybe maybe talk about some of the things that's happening in Twin Peaks The Return for the benefit of this audience. And we can tell you how your theories are wrong and ours are right. <laughs> are you are you interested? Are you up for it? You I'm ready. Talk? I'm ready. Could I get a refill on my wine first? Absolutely. <laughs> Folks, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back in just a moment. I come from a small town, but it's filled with secrets. Happy like a sad clown, deeply steeped in regret. Headlights, yellow line, flying on the highway. Stoplight swinging in the night, guiding my way. I say half of that which happened seems absurd. Motifs in the imagery taught to me like fire and birds. Words seem so strange when isolated, juxtaposed and repeated by a creeper. And I meet a lot of those. I'm in a smoky room, sweating out of control. A jazz record crackles at me through an old Victrola. She's there. And I get the feeling somehow That I've never really known her At least not until now Then she's gone And I know she's gone on somewhere That the air is filled with rushes Gently touching on a snare And a saxophone wails out It cries like it longs For the man who used to play it But we all know he's gone And a woman silently sings a sad Spanish song A suave man croons into a work lamp and it's on And the radio blares across the desert and on Could this really be? Or was it all a dream? Is there any Shrug and scratch my head, I guess I'm always left with guesses None of the people that I meet can seem to answer questions There are very long pauses in the dialogue And I spy a very pretty girl, I'm pretty sure she's gonna die It's like it's nighttime all the time, shadows so fast My life's a David Lynch movie, in which I've been cast Everybody swears a lot, everybody smokes Everybody speaks in code, I never get their jokes I am on the wrong side of Lincoln, man, these people got demons The men don't have eyebrows, the women are screaming I take a chicken walk down to the diner Cause if Isabella's in this picture, I'ma find her There is a little man, and he's scarily dancing But he doesn't bother Jack Nance or Harry Dean Stanton Laura Dern is concerned, something will make her dead quick I'm crying like the baby in Eraserhead sick Nick cages in snakeskin, he howls at the moon I'd mention Spice and Sand, but I never made it through Dune We hear Lorondo at Silencio, but there's no applause What's with all these references to Wizard of Oz? Badalamenti is haunting me, Robert Loggia is tripping I am not an animal, Paps Blue Ribbon 
happen? There's a man in back of this place, his face is all rotten We got a fresh pot of coffee, we got Kyle McLaughlin And I'll see you in the morning sun Cue the Roy Orbison Could this really be, or was it all a dream? Is there any meaning in between these creepy scenes? I just shrug and scratch my head, I guess I'm always left with guesses None of the people that I meet can seem to answer questions There are very long pauses in the dialogue And I spy a very pretty girl, I'm pretty sure she's gonna die It's like it's nighttime all the time Folks, on May 21st of this year, David Lynch and Mark Frost answered the dreams of Francine the Lucid Dream and myself and countless other fans around the world by bringing Twin Peaks back to television. Uh, now, in this uh, second half of the episode, Francine and I are just going to talk about the season so far. As of this recording, seven episodes. Well, seven parts. Mm-hmm. The first seven hours of this yes. season. That's all that, that we are able to talk about so far. Now, if you are watching the show, great. If you are not watching the show, if you not started watching yet, please don't listen. It's going to be full of spoilers. If you have started watching the show and you haven't made it through episode seven... There will be no um, holding back of spoilers for your benefit. You have been warned. Twin Peaks is back, and I don't even know where to start. I think we mentioned it before, but we watched this. We watched first parts one, two, and three together. It was it was with with the Pink Room cast and crew members, Bunny Buxom, Minx Arcana, CDED, and Montana. Correct. And you yeah. and me. Yep. It was an emotional experience. It was very emotional. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it was wonderful to be together, and we did the whole thing, the donuts, the pie. Uh, well, we skipped the coffee and went straight to the booze. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did it like classic, like, Twin Peaks party. We Growing up, we used to have, like, Twin Peaks fests is what we called them. Mm-hmm. And we were just, like, nights where we'd watch Twin Peaks and we'd eat donuts and drink coffee. Um so it was it was wonderful to be together with the, in a room filled people who appreciate the show so much. Um, for me personally, as you witnessed, it was very emotional, and I don't think uh, I think I started crying like the moment that the credit the credit started rolling. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a couple of those long <laughs> spooky shots, like a like a slow zooming shot down a hallway of the high school, and then zooming mm-hmm. in on the trophy case with Laura Palmer's photo in it. And then just as it like pushes in on it, the words appear on the screen and the first notes of the of the falling instrumental hit. I feel like you were done for. I was absolutely done. Uh, um. You weren't the only <laughs> one. I feel like there was a moment that night where everybody was kind of like, maybe it was Minx. It was like, oh, <laughs> you're so emotional about this. You weren't the only one. And I mean, it wasn't just me too. I was, I was like trying to be cool about it but i was like my eyes were all up full of tears like as soon as it started because i just waited for so long and it was just so exciting to finally see it again i waited we waited for so long but i think that just that opening sequence was so perfect it was just so perfect the way it was still like bringing it you know tying in the old show to the new um, even the uh, the intro, which I, I love, just having you know, they, the way they reinvented it with the yeah. same theme song, um, yeah. seeing the waterfall, but in a different way and how it ties into, you know, brings in Laura Palmer, but also ties in the Black Lodge, I think is just 
stunning. And every time I watch it, I get a little emotional. Yeah. I, I love that um, the intro is slightly different in every episode. Oh, I'm going to have to go. See, I've been – so just so everyone knows, I have watched all seven parts and I've seen one through six at least twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen them all in order. Like I haven't sat down and watched like – you know, I've seen one and two together and then three and then the rest I've kind of like rewatched here and there randomly when I had a chance. So it's all been out of order. So it's a little bit jumbled. Um, and my memory is terrible. So <laughs> I like to uh, remember things my own way. <laughs> I have the excuse of age, but also the excuse of all of the damage that I've done to myself over the years. So my memory is terrible. I, I have seen the first six episodes. I have seen all of them four times each. Oh, wow. Okay. Episode 7, which just aired last night, if you want to figure out when we recorded this, uh, I've only seen once. And I have to watch them several times because I feel like my brain gets overwhelmed and shuts down every time I'm watching an episode because I'm trying to process so much. All of these heavy emotional nostalgic feelings, uh, all of these like uh, bits of joy and happiness of seeing an old friend every time like Nadine Hurley makes a brief cameo and and like I just can't keep up with the whole thing so I'm missing large elements of the show but then I watch them during that week just so I I can make sure I get everything I think the way you watch it is super important and maybe this has just been ingrained in my head because I've seen that YouTube video of like David Lynch uh, talking about how you should never watch a movie on an iPhone (laughs) which is hilarious and you should Google that if you have a chance Um, but for me personally and I think this is partially because you know we haven't had new Twin Peaks in so long and I really, I, I, I envy people who can watch the classic Twin Peaks for the first time because I would yep. love to experience it through their eyes again. Um, so when the new Twin Peaks, the return came out, I really wanted to just, at least the first time watching it, just experience it without trying to analyze it, without trying to even like, you know, as performers, we're always looking for like, what do we do in the next show? I, I didn't want to even think that way. I just wanted to enjoy it for its emotional content. And not even worry so much about, like, the specific references and, like, clues and stuff. You know, some things might be obvious tie-ins or things that, like, are bringing, yeah. like, made natural connections. But I wasn't, like, taking notes the whole time. No, and, and you can't because, yeah. you know, when we were kids and we watched it on yeah. television the first time, here's the story coming at you and then weird stuff happens. And it's yeah. hard to, like, after spending, you know, then 25 years reanalyzing every inch of those two seasons it's hard to turn that off when they give us something new and i feel like i kind of did that and i that's why i probably didn't retain a lot of stuff from that first viewing Mm -hmm. because i was my brain was in overdrive being like i'm trying to process all these feelings and also what does this mean what does this mean and then it was made that much worse by mark frost and david lynch saying oh you've been waiting a, a long time well, buckle the fuck up because we're going to throw you just face first into a screaming nightmare. <laughs> like a completely disorienting and which is the fun of David Lynch's work mm-hmm. is how disorienting it is. But even for like a couple of like old hands at David Lynch, it's nice to see these still got it. Like yeah. so incredibly overwhelmed and alienated and confused and lost and which is the perfect tone for entering that world. I don't think I stopped crying until, uh, like, fully stopped crying until the end of uh, part two. But I was, you know, I'm in a viewing party. I'm trying to be, like, polite. So I'm literally, I'm sitting there on your couch, just, like, kind of, like, <gasps> like, trying not to, like, outright cry and, like, affect everyone else. But I think uh, one of the other performers who 
got into Twin Peaks a little bit later, or more recently, I should say, uh, was just like, wow. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, All right, you didn't have to wait as long to see this. It would have been a great moment to put it on pause and then like turn to her and say, <laughs> do you get it now? Like, <laughs> this is not a thing that I like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this is bigger than that. We start right away with, in, in the Black Lodge, not the way we're used to seeing it, this time in black mm-hmm. and white. Right. And we're seeing an, an older Kyle MacLachlan as Cooper, still in the Black Lodge, presumably 25 years after the, the end of the finale when we see him, well, we see some version of him exit the exit the Black Lodge in the, in the finale and smash his face against a mirror and see the reflection of Bob. And we see Cooper in the Black Lodge in black and white with the giant, who is not credited as the giant, but in the credits... That character's name is listed as five question marks. <gasps> did you know? Oh, I did. It does not I say. I did it, see that, but it, now, that, yeah. Okay, Im- yeah. Immediately starts with him. He's talking backwards yeah. in a bunch of nonsense mm-hmm. with a handful of clues that will, will surely be decoded slowly over 18 episodes. And and Cooper sitting there and looks kind of concerned and responds. Like, even then, I was like, it's really happening. This is really happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's really the giant talking to Cooper. Yeah. And a Victrola, which is like There's sending vic- some sort of weird mes- message with the sounds. There's a freaking Victrola, yeah. What does he say? He says, Agent Cooper, listen to the sounds. It all cannot be said aloud now. It is in our house now. And then Cooper says, mm. it is. And then he says, remember, 430, Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone. And mm-hmm. then Cooper says, I understand. And then he says, you are far away. And then Cooper disappears, I think, right? Yeah. He just, just disintegrates. Yeah. Goes somewhere else. I don't even know how to, like, our whole, just our whole that, plan was to just talk about this season. I don't even know how to, like. Yeah, I think we could do an entire podcast devoted to each episode, but we won't do that. Yeah, it, there's there's so much to unpack. Yeah. And, and there isn't even a way to conveniently summarize. If you had to take a shot <laughs> at summarizing the main plot point, bullet points of what the story is, forget Jacoby. Forget Richard. If you're if you're talking about our chief protagonist, mm-hmm. honestly, I think there's a good chance that Kyle MacLachlan could give us a pretty good summary with emoji. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. He did do that, didn't he? He did that with Dune, but I, I think that honestly, emoji is probably the best way to do it now. Because how can you describe it in words? I mean, we can try. It's, but... This is going to sound like a pretentious film enthusiast hmm. because. I am. Uh, but, you know, at, re- repeating everything I've ever read about David Lynch, he's a very visual filmmaker. He Absolutely. tells a story with images. Very, uh, He takes control of his shots like a, like a painting, and he tells a story with images as opposed to a very clear narrative. And that's, I mean, it's actually accurate. That is actually how he tells stories. I, I, I'm embarrassed at myself for reciting such pretentious nonsense, <laughs> which is... I think then supports your argument mm-hmm. that summarizing yeah. with emojis makes sense. It does make sense. I think I don't, it, it's easier to explain than like trying to like logically explain what's happening. So how do you? It's not straightforward. We find that twenty five years later, the the Cooper that emerged from the Black Lodge is now uh, pinning his long hair back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And wearing snakeskin shirt and uh, leather jacket, and is still inhabited by one of the hell beasts of the of the Black Lodge. He's still Bob or some version of it. He's a doppelganger. He's there's there's some duality of like multiple mm-hmm. versions of the same person. He's been uh, running around being a professional criminal for 25 years, and he's up to no good. And we see him manhandle some people and and kill some people and uh, talk kind of nervously about the fact that he knows he has to return to the Black Lodge soon. The good Cooper, (laughs) who is still in the Black Lodge, write it in your diary, meets a lot of our old friends. The Philip Gerard, the one, our man. Um... The new man from another place, or the arm, which is no longer played by Michael Anderson. We mostly only see Cooper in the Black Lodge until, you know, like episode three, when good Cooper kind of finds a way out. The arm. The arm. arm. This cracked me up. Like, this was (laughs) one of the parts when I was not crying. I was just like, I mean, I was very confused at first, but I'm like, this is kind of amazingly magical it reminded me just like stylistically of a racer head oh yeah very much um and actually this is just like a general thing i think i already said to you at one point but uh in private i i feel like when when this was when the new twin peaks was coming out um there was a recommendation to watch firewalk with me like if you were going to prepare for the for the return watch firewalk with me not necessarily even the old series i feel like you need to watch everything that David Lynch has done <laughs> to really get all the references. That just felt so Eraserhead to me. Just like yeah. the style of the tree and the head on it. I felt it also kind of felt like the practical effects from Doom. Oh, yeah. It's weird little mouth. Yeah, yeah, Looks yeah. kind of like that giant whale monster thing with right. a tank in, in, <laughs> right. in Dune. The, the very vaginal thing from yeah, Dune. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and regardless of, of what it is or what it looks like, right. it's immediately unnerving it's it was funny we all laughed if, well, it was a when nice you, it was when a you nice, know that it, it basically replaced a uh, an a actor human uh, a human actor the actor <laughs> who played the man from another place michael anderson who kind of lost his shit and became like a paranoid sandy hook truthing uh, right-wing conspiracy theorist and said a bunch of insane shit about david lynch online and uh well pretty well guaranteed not getting recast in yeah. the show and talk just Fair enough. Talk terrible things, <laughs> which is unfortunate because his face, he's hes hes such a recognizable person. I know. I yeah. remember lamenting his absence before I'd seen a frame of it. Really? Yeah. So we we meet in in, in, in the Black Lodge in this. The, the one-armed man introduces us to uh, a leafless tree with electricity running through it with like a stomach pl- stuck to it or a large glob <laughs> of bubble gum with a mouth. And calls it the evolution of the arm. Yes. This, this is what he is now. This is what we've replaced him with. Yes. This fucked up practical effect. So even if you don't know, like, the background, the history, the politics of, like, the personal relationship between the actor and the director, just this thing is so weird. Like, 
it's that alone is bizarre but then you add into the all the other stuff we know about like the backstory it's hilarious it's weird for david lynch it's like i mean yeah i I agree with you that it feels familiar it feels Mm -hmm. like racerhead eraserhead it feels like dune but it's still it's still so unsettling to look at and to listen to speak i feel like we all laughed at it because it was funny when we were together Mm -hmm. i don't think it's so funny when i'm watching it by myself like, we all cracked up because we were like, look at this stupid thing. This stupid, it's like a stomach on a tree. <laughs> I watch it by I, myself and I'm a little more upset and, and uncomfortable yeah. and kind of frightened. I still, I still laughed at it. I, still, I watched it again today and I also watched, you know, in when we see it again. The, oh, yeah. The mini, the mini sprouted, sprouted the, the, version. The little, one, the, little, the little one was adorable. I, I laughed yeah. pretty hard. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but it is disturbing too. <clears throat> So this this show does not take place exclusively in Twin Peaks, Washington. Oh yeah, the, or that, just north of the border, which were like the two locations for right. the original series. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Like it, it was a little, it's unsettling. Where like this whole Twin Peaks universe took place in one or two places that mm-hmm. we were familiar with, um, but it was, honest to God, pretty damn exciting to see New York City. All New of a York City, where we are, yeah. where we can see from the window here, we can see that skyline yeah. that we saw on the TV in front of us. Um, that was pretty amazing. That was like like ten minutes in too. There's like a there's like a tracking shot over the city with the yeah. caption New York City, and I think we were all like, uh, what? Can I mention that? I mean, we did include New York City. That was part of like a little bit in the the full length version of a David our oh, David yeah, Lynch movie. Absolutely. That there was going to be a reveal that this took place in New York City. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's the thing you did where you that accidentally the predicted the future. That was the thing that I accidentally predicted the oh, future you of did, Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, like it's mm-hmm. a it's a reveal and it's a recognizable yeah. skyline. It's not like look, we're in a, an urban environment now, it's, right? Huh. Just saying. Um, anyway, in New York City is we meet uh, two of my favorite characters so far, who I guess we're done with. <laughs> I know. I really I got so attached to them so quickly. I and, like them uh, so so much. The, yeah. it, this perfectly beautiful David Lynch romance of two people who are are just barely speaking words in between sexual tension <laughs> and not really talking about anything we meet this guy do you know what that character's name is tracy and sam sam oh i know tracy's name because of the line oh yeah tracy. bad girl tracy right uh <laughs> sam is like a college student who gets this job working in a mostly empty loft and his job is to sit there all day and look at a glass box surrounded by all kinds of computer equipment and cameras and switch out the sd cards on these cameras when they fill up and he's just told to sit there and watch this box until something appears I'm just going to say right now, and even though I know what eventually happens to him, if someone offered me that job right now, I would take it. All right. It seems like it would be an easy job, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I just got to sit here and stare at this thing. But I Yeah, feel like, just like change the videotapes every once in a while. I feel like that would become excruciating. It would be like working in a, like a park, like in a, an attendant in a parking garage. Because like, you'd yeah. think like if, it was, if you were a college student, I can just sit in that booth and just do yeah. homework all day. But like after many hours, it probably starts to take a toll on your mind. Yeah. And all he does, he just sits there and watches this glass box. And Tracy, who presumably is a barista at a local coffee shop, is that? I guess, well, she got the coffee for free at yeah. some place called Z, or there was a Z yeah, on the yeah, coffee cups. But, yeah. and, uh, but she, she, look, she looks a little too well-dressed to work at a coffee shop. She's obviously courting him. Yeah. So maybe she's She shows like, up every night yeah. around the same time, I presume. Yeah. She shows up, she brings him coffee. He can't let her in because it's a secret job and there's a security guard and she comes back the second night 
she obviously wants to spend some alone time with him. This is a, if you're going to have a, a job where you can uh, make out with some squeeze, one would think that this would be the ideal job because you're just sitting there uh, as they learn it's not. Um, so she visits him a second night, brings him coffee again. Security guard's gone. That's never explained. Yeah, never explained. Not yet. Uh, turns out Sam's all alone, so he lets Tracy in. They have a perfectly David Lynchian sex scene, and then something appears in the box. I think we're, we're, we're proving here that it is difficult to talk about this yeah, show. Yeah, uh, you know, but, but let's talk about Madeline Zima, who plays Tracy. She, I know her recently, very recently, because I just got into Californication. She was in Californication. She had a scene with David Duchovny's character where she yeah, has... more than one scene. She's like a pretty major character. I only saw the first season of it, and oh, I only okay. remember the scene okay. where she's having sex with him and punching him in the yes. face. I remembered <laughs> yeah, that. That's yeah. a pretty memorable scene. That was the so, only thing I liked about that season <laughs> of that show. I didn't like Californication. Oh, okay. Um, well... I didn't like her character because if you keep watching that, spoiler alert, if you're, you haven't seen Californication, she's kind of a manipulative character in mm-hmm. that show. And I don't like her character, but I was, I, before Twin Peaks came out, I was watching it and I was like, who is this actress? Because she's a good actress. She's great and she's beautiful. And I looked her up and then the first thing that came up on IMDb was that she was going to be in the new Twin Peaks. And I was like, oh, what? But I thought she would last more than the first. Yeah, that, that was kind of a surprise because. Yeah. Well, the way this ends up playing out is, so Sam, the second night, has Tracy visit, and they start having sex, and the box turns black, a horrible vibrating monster appears, which smashes its way out of the box, and basically beheads both of them. They die in a, a, a bloody death. That has still, we're seven episodes in, has not been explained what that thing is, where it came from. Can I ask you this? Sure. Um, and this is going into the secret history of Twin Peaks oh. um, by Mark Frost. Yes. Uh, which, guys, don't tell anyone. I have not finished it yet. <laughs> it is a book that is a fictionalized account of things that have to kind of do with the supernatural mythology of the area of Twin Peaks, starting with the time of Lewis and Clark and ending kind of in modern day. The part that I that made me think of this now is the, uh, and apologies if I'm saying this wrong, is the... Uh, the Lemurians? Lemurians? Uh, yeah, yeah. When, so I was reading that part. Mount Shasta. And anyway, the thing yeah. seems to be the thing. Yeah, it, that actually the thing is the could thing. be the I thing. I think the thing is the thing. Um, the Secret History of Twin Peaks is a great book to pick up uh, for fans of this universe because it expands it. The premise of the book is during some investigation of some crime scene, a dossier of documents is recovered. And an FBI agent is placed in charge of researching these documents and finding out where they came from. Now, this, this collection of documents is telegraphs, newspaper clippings, official FBI correspondence, ver- various things like that. And, and the book it recreates all of them. So it's fun. It's not, you're not just reading the text. You're seeing, like, actual little newspaper clippings, blah, blah, blah. But it's basically a collection of that somebody who will not be named has collected all of these recordings of strange paranormal, supernatural things that have happened in the woods around Twin Peaks from the time of Lewis and Clark up until modern day. Uh, with a great reveal at the end of you don't know who is there's a there are letters that go with it with it that are written by a character known as the archivist who has collected all of these things and boy what a great reveal that is but I'm not going <laughs> to tell you explain scene is not finished it I don't know yet um, but there is there is some talk of 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 some real world paranormal you know phenomenon mm-hmm. mythology stories and the Lemurians mm-hmm. the aliens who live in the cloud around the peak of Mount Shasta are are one of them that 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 kind of keeps getting referenced. Uh, right. There's also there's a, a story of a, of a of a Boy Scout who sees like a very tall figure in the woods, mm-hmm. which could also be what this weird 
white nightmare monster is. Um, did you know? Just jumping ahead. I'm just let's. We're just going to jump around. Okay, th- episodes, we have right? to. There's, yeah, I think we have there, to. What are we going to do this linearly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Baltazar Getty, who, by the way, the first time I saw him in the new Twin Peaks, I did not realize who that I didn't was. either. I didn't either. I just thought he was like a sexy silver fox, yep. some random new guy, actor guy. And Doing a gun finger. Yeah. I was like, bar. okay, who's that guy? And then I saw him again in another episode. Mm-hmm. Still didn't know who he was. Second time watching it, I was like, is that Baltazar Getty? Oh, really? Balt- I was like, yeah, uh, okay. Looked, yep. I didn't, re- him. I didn't recognize him the first time, but the second time. He's he great. Speaking. I love him. Yeah. Um, but I think he mentioned... I can't remember the exact line, but I think he says something about, like, I might eat your brain to Richard Horn. Does he say, I might, here's where I might be making stuff up. Oh. But I'm pretty sure he says something I, like. He does, say like something, gonna, he does say something like that. Yeah. That reminded me of the thing that ate the sexy young couple's brain, Tracy and Sam. Oh, my shit. I didn't even think about that. See, this this is where we are right now. Yeah. It's it's so hard. I mean, I know there are people out there who are like putting out like really solid theories. Yeah, I'm just trying to absorb it all from yeah. like <laughs> again an emotional. Well, and place. also just knowing your instincts from having spent years talking about Mulholland Drive and, and other Dave right, Lynch works right, right. to look at these things and be like, everything that happens it is either absolutely there on purpose, or it is absolutely absurdist for the sake of throwing you off the trail. So it's yeah. hard to say, but every yeah. single thing has purpose and especially well as, as far as the visual aspect of the of the story yeah all of that has purpose at all david lynch is not doing anything accidentally stuff is not just ending up in frame right and things like that like balthazar getty saying something like i will eat your brain to a character when we see two characters have their heads caved out exactly by some monster yeah. does not seem like an accident yeah and then you're, you're reminding me again i said before that uh you know i would recommend for anyone to before watching this to see like everything Lynch has done since the 90s or even before um but I really and I've said this to you privately I really feel like this the return is like David Lynch's greatest hits because we're seeing so many things not just from the original Twin Peaks but from like everything he's done like you I think pointed it out when in the original screening um the yellow jacket the yellow coat oh it's yeah like a mustard coat yeah it's a blue blue velvet yeah reference yeah um I think I mentioned before that there's the, the Harry Dean Stanton mm-hmm. when we first see him in the episode. That there's a, a John Deere tractor yeah, that goes by him. And- that was one that uh, you pointed out to me that we see him and then we see a John Deere tractor. And Harry Dean Stanton is, spoiler, the uh, a reveal character at the end of uh, Straight Story. Yeah. Um, which is David Lynch's G rated movie. Yes. Um, which is all <laughs> about a guy who rides a. Uh, John Deere ride, uh, John Deere riding lawnmower mm-hmm. across the state of Iowa yeah. to visit his ailing estranged brother, who turns out to be Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, um, yeah. that doesn't happen yeah. on accident. No, not at all. Here, let's get into the other. Let's yeah. get into the other Cooper here first, because then we can. I feel like we can just kind of web out from there. We had there again, are so many Coopers. Yes. So after we meet Evil Cooper, and we're like, wow, the <laughs> Evil Bob Black Lodge Cooper is a is a badass motherfucker. We feel like we have seen Cooper. We saw his good spirit in the Black Lodge right. talking to question mark, question mark, question mark. But we, we've we only seen him in the real world as this now kind of badass criminal uh, blood, uh, cold-blooded yeah. murderer. And I think for most of us, those of us who have been like following this and staying on top of the show like over the years like mm-hmm. I'm analyzing it we're kind of like okay we got this good coop bad coop yeah good coops in the lodge he's trapped in the lodge bad coops out in the world yeah. all right 
It was still a little jarring, but we got that. Yeah, but we can accept that. Yeah. We're, we're ready for doppelgangers. That's a thing he does. We sure. Know that we've watched the finale. There's yeah. two of them chasing each other around up and down that hallway. Yeah. Okay, good coop and bad coop. <laughs> got it. At some point, we meet a guy named Dougie Jones, who is Kyle McLaughlin with bad hair, bad <laughs> clothing sense, um, some paunch, who is sitting in like a mostly abandoned rental home with a prostitute. Uh, with no explanation given to us. He's sitting there having a conversation. He seems like he's kind of a goofy, cheesy guy. We're confused because we're like, that's not evil Coop. That's not good Coop either. Coop doesn't talk like any of that. We just saw Coop in the Black Lodge talking to the giant. We still really don't know who Dougie Jones ever we was. Don't. One of the two major mysteries so far is just kind of figuring out what the hell Dougie Jones is. I actually love this mystery because you can kind of you can kind of piece it together based on people's reactions mm-hmm. about like the Coop, who has now taken over Dougie Jones, who's yeah. like living as Dougie Jones. It's like the way people respond to him, like the women who are like, oh, Dougie. Yeah. <laughs> like so annoyed with him, but also like he's kind, obviously kind of charming. Yeah. Because they put up with him yeah. and they're like kind of like him. Like yeah. a lot of them are into him. Yeah. Like even even his regular prostitutes like, oh, oh Dougie. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we are we're kind of <clears throat> told by evil Coop that a thing is going to happen. And we, and we hear in a conversation with Good Coop in the Black Lodge with a Black Lodge, Laura Palmer, we hear that a time has come that Good Coop is now getting ready to leave the Black Lodge. He's getting ready to go back out into the world. And that means that the evil Coop who went out in the world in his place 25 years ago is going to have to go back in. Um, but that doesn't happen because what happens is somehow evil coop subverts this moment where he's supposed to get sucked back in and this guy who looks exactly like coop named dougie jones becomes the conduit for cooper spirit cooper meets we see some new weird like limbo world like a purple room that's also part of the black lodge white lodge uh universe uh and we see cooper sucked through an electrical outlet and then his spirit inhabits the body of this clown, Dougie Jones, in this house in Nevada. Um, and suddenly Dougie Jones has a better haircut and a fitted suit and has lost weight. And he's very trim and he looks like handsome older Coop. And let's face it, older Coop is very handsome. Very handsome. Um, very dapper. And this is not explained the, to no. us yet. That there's this mm-hmm. guy who just looks like him. We, we, spend, a, we spend like two hours... Evil Coop saying, I'm getting ready because I'm going to have to switch places with this this chucklehead FBI agent any minute. And then he, he somehow subverts that and Cooper's spirit goes into this loser named Dougie Jones. And unfortunately, somehow in that transfer process, there was damage done to the spirit <laughs> of Cooper because he's now like basically this mostly mute child who hasn't figured out how to interact with the world. Right. His memories seem to be all but gone, except for maybe a handful of, like, phrases or beverages that, like, stir his memory. But otherwise, he just kind of repeats the phrases that people say to him and stumbles around the world like he's had a very serious head injury. Um, Dougie Jones seems like he's some sort of manufactured uh, vessel that the evil coop made to skip out on his on going back to the Black Lodge right. but at the same time we find that after disoriented baby coop 
inhabits his body. The Dougie Jones has a whole life. He's got a job. He's an insurance agent. He's got a wife. He's got a child. Uh, his wife knows that he's a philanderer. He's obviously mm-hmm. got a drinking problem. He's known to go on benders. Like He's got a whole life that has been going right. on for years and years and years. What do you think is going on with this? I don't know. Well, first of all, I think like even if something hadn't gone wrong with like the transfer of like good coop coming back to earth or whatever, um, 25 years in the black lodge, like if, if whatever he is, if he's just like a soul trapped there or whatever, like coming back, you would be a little bit off. Yeah. Even, even just like a normal person coming back to society after 25 years would be like a little bit awkward. So I think that that's the way I interpreted that. He's just like taking human form again and he's not used to it. Right. Um, but I see, but obviously something went wrong too. So that's. It's like his mind is in atrophy, kind of, from being exactly. in, in this alternate dimension. All the right. Time. There is a scene when Dougie Coop is trying to get dressed to go to work and he has a vision. Uh, the one armed man in the Black Lodge, right. the curtains appear before him, and he tells Dougie, You were tricked. And now one of you must die, which I get the feeling this whole thing is going is building up to a confrontation between the two Coopers. Eventually, that the atrophied Cooper is going to grow into learning who he is and having his personality and evil Cooper is going to keep hiding from him. But I wonder what this you were tricked thing. That's yeah, I still don't understand that because there have been I rewatched the earlier episodes and trying to figure out there was um, I think maybe the arm slash the tree. Might have been the one who tricked him. It could have been anyone. It could have been Laura because Laura whispered something in his ear mm-hmm. and then was yeah. swept away in, in obviously a not so fun fashion. Right, right. <laughs> she didn't seem to be enjoy going wherever she was going. It was horrible. Um, yep. Super traumatic. Um, but then the uh, the tree arm. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it the tree arm. Just call um, it the tree arm. The tree arm uh, said, "Go now. Like leave the Black Lodge now." And then later. The one our man Gerard is like something's wrong, and the tree, or we assume the other tree arm, is said my doppelganger. So, do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Isn't isn't <laughs> the one our man the tree's doppelganger? Because I was See, Philip Gerard, aka Mike, was the arm, the dwarf, the man from another place's right. doppelganger. But you remember in um, there's the evil when it was Michael J. Anderson there was oh yeah there was there was a there was, there was a good a, one and an evil one yes in the in the final episode. yes in the Black Lodge yeah. so if that's the case then couldn't there be a good tree bad tree oh yeah there absolutely could so I think the tree maybe tricked him or it could have been Laura that tricked him mm-hmm. it could have been the tree that tricked him at one point I thought maybe it was Leland that tricked him but I don't think that anymore no he was just sad yeah he was just very sad there is a point where right before Evil Coop kills uh, a young woman named uh, Daria he tells her that he's supposed to be taken pulled back into a place called the Black Lodge but he's already taken care of that which suggests that he somehow had some hand in Dougie Jones in making Dougie Jones be the target for Cooper's spirit like either he created him I don't know what kind of powers those hell beasts have in the outside world we've never seen ones that powerful that can just create life right um, they mostly just you know get tattoos and cut their arms off <laughs> right and murder their daughters <laughs> or or if he like yeah. tracked down somebody who was just the spitting image because everybody in the world has a doppelganger and it seems like he had some kind of he had something to do with that with this trick that was played on good coop I see now you're talking about this and I want to jump ahead to something totally different oh do it um, uh, you know what we're not going to come up with answers for any of this Jacques Renault 
Let's talk about Jacques Renault. Jacques Renault. It's not Jacques. It's not. He's got another name. Right. I didn't hear his name. I watched this at four in the morning. Oh, uh, he didn't say it in the episode. Okay. I saw it in the credits, oh, okay. and I don't remember what it is. He's a Renault. I figured. I assumed it would be a family member. We saw him, yeah. I believe, at the end of the first yep. episode. The very first episode, yes. And then again in the long scene where we see the guy sweeping up at the end of the night at the roadhouse. So David Lynch. So David Lynch. Such I a love long it. shot of him just sweeping <laughs> just in the sweeping. room. Uh, because the I, whole time I'm like, that's that's Jacques. He is another member of the Renault family, yes. and apparently the Roadhouse has always belonged to the Renaults. So they hired him back. So we know that there was a Bernard Renault, uh, Jean Renault, yeah. Jacques Renault. So he, this one looks just like Jacques. So maybe there was a pair of twins in there. I don't yeah. know, but it's just an excuse to hire that actor yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, happy to have him back. I feel excited whenever I see something that I haven't read on like a fan analysis site, mm-hmm. and I was I hadn't read anybody point out the. Um, the multiple appearances of red balloons in episode five. Right. Where we see one near the statue on the plaza of Dougie's firm, uh, near the statue of the guy with the gun. We see one uh, inside the house where the junkie and her child live, like on the floor. Uh, again, they're not there for by accident. Right. They're, they're there because David Lynch put them there. A friend of mine had, a, had, had kind of mused about this. I, I remember in the past, another friend of mine who I've been friends with David Lynch forever said that David Lynch is very much into circular storytelling things always kind of come back to where they were which is why he uses round imagery a lot Hmm. ceiling fans security cameras and now this red balloon maybe when i saw the red balloon you actually pointed out to me the first time um i didn't notice the first time around but um it reminded me of wilder heart and the scene where there's the red pipe yeah in the background which was a tribute to a french filmmaker whose name i cannot remember right now but the red balloons reminded me of the French film The Red Balloon. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing I thought of. Um, I think there must be some sort of deeper meaning to it than that. But it, I feel like it is at least an, an homage. To, it might to just that. be an homage. I mean. Yeah. I f- but I feel if it was just the one episode, I would think that. But now we saw it in the most recent episode. In the most recent episode. With not just one balloon, multiple balloons. Yeah, now they're like multiplying. Yeah. It's the same shot of the, on that plaza. But now the background has like three or four of them yeah. hovering there. Yeah. And also we saw it in the um the home of the lady who shouts one one nine. Yeah. The the lady Junkie. who's doing lots of drugs. Yeah. With the poor son running around. Yeah. Watching cars explode. On uh, numbers. Yeah. There's so many numbers that so we many need numbers. to pay attention yes. to. Yes. I actually this is something I wrote down. What did I write down? So four three zero was the first one you already right. mentioned. Remember four three zero. And then two five three, which we find out later is the time uh when I th- I believe Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's the time when Bad Coop is supposed to go into the Black Lodge. Because he oh, looks yeah. at his clock yeah. right before that happens. And then the lady, the junkie, who's screaming 119 mm-hmm. all the time. And we've seen her in a couple episodes Yeah, now. That's, so that's obviously pretty meaningful. That's all she said, right? I believe so. There's but, also the room number, uh, Coop's old room at the Great Northern. Yes, because 315. when he comes out... This kind of bothered me a little bit. I'm going to tell you something that kind of bothered me a little bit. So when, when, when Good Cooper... Comes to the electrical socket, inhabits the body of, of Dougie Jones. His prostitute friend discovers that he has a key in his pocket from the, from the Great Northern, from his room, 315, I think it was. Yeah. Um, which was great. I just squealed when that happened, <laughs> when he pulled it out. And it was like, oh, right, because he's been in the Black Lodge since he was living in, in that hotel. Mm-hmm. That bothered me because I like that he had like a 
physical token from that time that he went in. But it bothers me because he is not dressed the way he is when he went in. He had a <gasps> he had a red and black striped tie when he went oh, into the Black God. Lodge. Yeah. Oh, it, you're good with the details there. And now he's wearing hmm. a now he's wearing a black suit with a black tie. Okay. Well, two things. Okay. Um, there's one tie. I don't know. I don't know if this is the tie. This might be the tie from the dream. And I, I've actually tried the really super cool tie. Which, if you ever find, if anyone ever finds this tie we'll or to wants it. to design this tie, <laughs> it's like it's like red in the middle, but then kind of like a chevron sort of thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's from the first oh. dream sequence in episode three of the okay. original season, and it was presumably what they were trying to project what they thought fashion was going to look like in the future. Because Cooper's dream is, I had this dream. And it was 25 years in the future. And he's wearing this weird, like, that's the only thing yeah. that's a signifier is this weird tie that I've never seen on a person before. Well, it would be fashion from the future if I could start a tie line because I thought it was a killer tie. If you started it now, you would, you would satisfy that time travel motif yeah. right now by making But seriously, it. like, tie makers of the world, like, make that tie. Yeah. It was so cool. Anyway. We will. Patricia Norris. Patricia Norris. She's no longer with us. I wish no. she was still around because she would know where that tie She is. was the like original uh, uh, stylist, She costumer. was the stylist and also the art director, I believe, oh, for right. like most everything David Lynch did until Lost Highway, I think she worked on. And yeah. then not Mulholland Drive. Um, and then she worked on 12 Years a Slave, obviously not a Lynch film, but um, then she, re- she passed away, I think, about two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, if you are interested in, in crafting this tie and you have <laughs> just now, upon listening to this, started an Etsy shop, uh, why don't you send a couple of samples to the Pink Room Burlesque? We will put them in raffles and uh, we'll make you famous. So and I'll, pr- to- I'll probably take some photos, too, and put it on Twin Peaks Chic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not kidding. Uh, another um, do it. Francine project, which you will find a link to in this episode's show notes. So yeah, that, that kind of yeah, bothered me, but it did, it did excite me that, that he still had this trinket from his time in Twin Peaks. Yes. Him. Yeah, so I was thinking, if it's, if it's his soul trapped in the Black Lodge, what is your soul? Does it just extend to your skin? Does it, does it extend to your hair? Your hair is dead? Like, what does it mean? Like, could it, be, could it be your clothing that you wear because that's a part of you? Because, like, as we see with Josie, yeah. She ends up trapped in wood. And I think we started to see a little bit of that in last night's episode. I which thought not so too. last night, but this, uh, the part seven. The high-pitched noise in the, the Great high, Northern? Yes. Yeah, what's going on with that? That camera uh, was yeah. really wanting us to look at the grain of that wood. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. Yeah, that was I, I uh, a really good scene. Yeah, with um, Benjamin Horn, who's still still trying to do good. <laughs> uh, and Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd. It was a delight to see her yeah. show up. There's so many celebrities that have small parts uh, yeah. in this season. Robert Nepper. Uh, Jim Belushi, Krista Bell, uh, Laura Dern, um, Michael Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael yeah, Sarah. Let's. Uh... <laughs> All right. Let's let's go back in time. Let's pretend it's uh, the first night we watched The Return, and we watched the first three parts here, and then I went home and I just could not go to sleep before watching part four, and I'm so glad I watched that before I went to bed because that's where we got to meet. Wally Brando. Wally Brando is a wonderful uh, inclusion to this universe. Uh, he he brings like like just the absurdity of what that character is is the thing that is like the Twin Peaks palate cleanser that you need every fifteen minutes. Which the original show was showing us horrible things, but then it was like peppered with kind of laughing at these like quirky rural Pacific Northwestern people. The new show doesn't feel like it has to hold our hand. And so it'll give us 45 minutes to a solid hour of a screaming 
nightmare <laughs> and not like pull back. In fact, we've spent so far, we've spent very little time in the town of Twin Peaks, Washington. We've been in Philadelphia, uh, South Dakota, New York City, Las Vegas. Buenos Aires. Exactly. And and only little bits of the story are mm-hmm. taking us back to Twin Peaks. And I feel it's going to eventually bring us there. But it seems like a lot of what happens when we do go to Twin Peaks and we get to check in on our, our old friends is that's when we're treated to these like these moments of like kind of quirky comic relief. And the best one so far is Michael Sarah as Wally Brando, which... I would like to announce to everybody that uh, Francine the Lucid Dream predicted like two years ago. There was a moment before we knew anything where they just listed like the cast online. These are all the people that have been cast. So we could go through the list with the fine tooth comb and be like, oh, they hired back Dana Ashbrook. Oh, they hired back Sherilyn Fenn. Oh my God, we're so excited we get to see them. But then there's all these other celebrities on there and you're like, Amanda Seyfried is going to be on this show? <laughs> Holy shit, that's where Michael, Sarah. And it was you, Francine the Lucid Dream, who said, but Michael Sarah is going to be the child of Lucy and Andy. I mean, I kind of knew that. I knew. I just felt it in my heart. I mean, like Michael Sarah is he's just he's a great comedic actor, but he can still go like emotional places. He can play a little bit darker if he needs to. It's blonde. I don't know. Yeah. He's cute. He looks young. He's like the right age. I just thought he'd be perfect. I did at one point have a theory that uh, Amanda Seyfried would be the twin yeah. <laughs> sister you did. that was it you thought that the two that was, of them were going to be yeah that was a secondary thing because yeah. wouldn't it be funny if if yeah. lucy ended up having twins and one of them belonged to andy one belonged to dick oh that's... which is the thing that would totally happen in a soap opera yeah. but yeah um <laughs> but yeah michael Sarah. um i'm so happy he's in this show he really like especially after watching three really intense episodes that fourth one was like yeah. a little bit of like you said the palate cleanser yeah so he, he just shows up to announce that he's back in town. And all that we know about him is that he shares a birthday with Marlon Brando and that he's obsessed with Marlon Brando's character from The Wild Ones <laughs> and dresses in the costume with the jaunty hat and the jacket with his name painted on it and the motorcycle. And he's he's like that pretentious college kid <laughs> who like carries a tattered copy of Dharma Bums around with him and talks about the open <laughs> road, man. Uh, and he's he's fucking wonderful and his family his parents are so oh, adorable they're they, they love him, love him so, so much, much. and oh, they God. are they are so endearing uh <laughs> so good to see lucy and andy again yeah i'm so happy they're back i'm happy they have a major role in this this is oh yeah they're so good um <laughs> but yeah wally brando is uh at like a breakout hit already yeah. the subject of many memes totally um already like a fan favorite and we, yeah. we've only had like four minutes of screen time of him i know I, I hope we see more yeah of wally brando yeah <laughs> he's got to play into this story in some other way I, I feel like wally brando could be a spin-off like it could be its oh, yeah. own show yeah in itself he's created enough intrigue he among, could be among like the on the air he could be the on the air <laughs> like he totally just... could yeah <laughs> like when when lynch was talking yeah. for a while that he wanted to do a spin-off uh like a television series about uh, Audrey Horn after Twin yeah. Peaks went off the air when Audrey Horn goes to L.A. and becomes an actress and was basically kind of the prototype for Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah. So after this is over and we all crash because we hit the wall when these 18 episodes are up and we're like, oh, that summer was so intense. How about a Wally Brando series, Lynch? Yeah. Maybe um, let's see what, what he's all about. This is kind of crazy. We're more than a third of the way through. Only one episode this. more than a third of the way through. But yeah, we're seven of yeah. seven of 18. I don't want to jump the gun here, but I feel like I could do with like a whole another season. Oh, yeah, I absolutely could. Uh, but I'm also 
trying to not be greedy and already starting to lament the end of it because I know how many times I watched those original episodes. That's true. No, actually, that's the, the thing I've experienced. I've only seen each episode now, for the most part, like two or three times. Um, I get something out of it. it, it they be, they're better each time. Yeah, they are. They I find new things. New things that are wonderful or new things that are horrible. And they are throwing some horrible stuff at us. So many horrible things. Oh, can we? Okay. We have to talk about Janie E. Jones. Janie E. Jones is played by Naomi Watts, who is Dougie Jones' wife. Um, now, she has the burden of having to take care of new Dougie Jones now that he has been possessed by the atrophied spirit of Cooper. And she's impatient. But she's impatient, but incredibly patient. Yeah, she puts up, obviously, with a lot of his shit. She has to. Yeah. Just like she's still with him. And she obviously knows that, like, he's a... Philandering, gambling, <laughs> yeah, alcoholic. Cheating, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's great. She obviously is holding shit together. Yeah. For all the... Probably even before, like, Good Coop took over oh, yeah. Dougie's body. Yeah. Like, she was holding shit together. We find out that Dougie owed... Uh, $50,000 to some shady characters who now want him killed because he hasn't been able to pay off his gambling debts. Uh, but when we find uh, Baby Coop uh, in, <laughs> inhabiting his body in the amazing casino scene, we learn that he's also, the with his Black Lodge powers, he's clairvoyant and hits, what, 40 jackpots in a row? Yeah, I think it was 30, something like that. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. So he makes like $425,000, brings this home to his wife, and she's like, all right, you're talking nonsense, and you've been gone for three days, and you missed your son's birthday, but... Well, we got this big bag of money now, and we can pay off those debts. And she renegotiates okay. the payback to these guys. I prefer to call her like a Susie Orman. Oh my god, it's it's yeah. so Susie. She Orman. goes all Susie Orman on yeah. these thugs. She's just like she refuses to pay premium interest rates. Explains no. what the market interest rates yeah. are. They are working class people. Yeah. yeah, he's got a wife and a son. <laughs> this is unacceptable. She throws that money in their chest. Walks away. I love the way they cut it. She's like already back to the car before like thugs even have a chance to like. Oh yeah. Realize what hit him. And they're just kind of like, oh, all right, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, She's I, great. I love her. I love Naomi Watts. Yeah. And I love her working for David Lynch. Yeah. Um, she's so good. She's such a good dramatic actress, but she could. She's got great comedic timing too. Yeah, and she knows how to play it like with just a slight edge of kind of absurd weirdness. Yeah. Like. This isn't real. Like, she's playing it a little bit. She's like an angry Betty because yeah. Betty does not exist in reality. Spoilers for another yeah. property. Um, but it's kind of that, like, almost melodrama. Like, it's almost over the top. Like, it's almost like she's doing kind of theater with it. And it yeah. feels a performance that doesn't feel natural, but it works yeah. always. Uh, Janie E. Jones is. Janie E. Jones. Jay gives two rides. I'll I bet. bet she does. <laughs> Amazing. She's yeah. always telling Dougie she's going to fix him a sandwich. <laughs> Several of the episodes have closed uh, at the Roadhouse so and to, to show what like it's become after all these years. It's a much hipper spot. Uh, they don't can't smoke there anymore obviously um and it showcases lots of like young bands Did you know that you know the one of them is david lynch's kid right the, what no i did not know that i can't remember what the band is called but uh they're like playing this kind of blues thing there's a saxophone guitar drums yeah. and bass the guitarist kid with the little hat as david one of david lynch's <gasps> kids uh, riley lynch i think riley okay um cool one of these episodes we, in the roadhouse we meet a guy named 
well, we don't actually know his name. We are obsessive fans, so we read the credits, and we learned that his name is Richard Horn. And he is obviously a dangerous young man who is paying off the cops for something. He's involved in some sort of drug trade. He just smokes cigarettes in the bar and doesn't care and, like, assaults a young woman in the bar and says horrible things to her. Uh, we immediately identify him as a terrible, terrible monster, like Leo Johnson, but dangerous. That scene yeah. was really upsetting. And then we find out when we read the credits that his name is Richard Horn. A very popular fan theory floating around the internet is that perhaps Richard Horn is the love child of Audrey Horn and Evil Cooper shortly after the events of the series finale 25 years ago that could have been conceived unconsensually while Audrey was yeah, comatose. He's definitely evil. Yeah. He's definitely a horn. This is highly disturbing and I as terrible as this is, I'm still happy to learn that Audrey Horn was still alive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we knew that through... In The Secret History of Twin Peaks, yeah, there's a... I did know that. There is an article about uh, how there was one survivor in the bank explosion. Yeah. Rest in peace, Pete Martell. (laughs) There's this other murder mystery that's going on in South Dakota that is now, like, related to these people because we find uh, there's a body that has... It's like a man's body with a woman's cut off head we don't have the yes. woman's body we don't have the man's head but apparently we learned that oh, the john doe the man's body has the fingerprints of garland briggs but at the age he was 25 years ago at the end of the series so we don't really know what that so, means yet. yeah what does that mean that is uh, it him is it not him uh, I, we don't know. I don't i don't we know don't. but it's a it's a it's a, it's the murder mystery within the twin peaks mystery we talked about seeing old friends and it's been so magical seeing even though we don't obviously the actor who played garland Brid, briggs passed away many yeah. years ago having his character back even in this way just even having is wonderful noted yeah. exactly um philip jeffries bowie yeah, Catherine Colston, the oh love lady, God. that was so it's, heartbreaking. It's such a heartbreaking scene, but it's what really starts this whole story. Yeah, at least for the people in Twin Peaks, Washington. Exactly. I feel like the stuff in the, the Black Lodge in South Dakota, and that's all going on right. anyway. But but this whole thing starts for for the people in 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 the town of Twin Peaks being set about on their own little mission is a phone call from the log lady to Hawk um, saying something's missing, has to do with mm-hmm. Agent Cooper. Um, I'm I'm so glad she was included. Yeah, I am in too. the show, and that she's I, her still serves as a, like a major catalyst for the story. Absolutely, and just just hearing Hawk say "Good night, Margaret." Oh God, it was so sweet, painful but beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of our our old friends that we've seen just briefly. We've seen Norma and, and Shelley, and we saw James and Bobby Briggs, Deputy Bobby Briggs. Yes, um, Dana Ashbrook. So we've seen a lot of our friends, but we they haven't all gotten a whole lot to do yet. And I that's because I my believe. That there are several storylines that are being set up and built, and it's all going to climax. It's all going to come to its like head in in Twin Peaks, Washington. Dougie Jones, with Baby Coop inside of him, is going to come to his senses and is going to drink enough coffee that he's going to know who he is, and he's going to make it to uh, Twin Peaks, Washington, with a, a whole parade of people who want to kill him following him. Um, and then all of those people who they've been setting up and showing us James and Bobby and uh, that and and Sarah Palmer that all of their their responsibilities will be made clear then. Right now, it's just everything is building up to something, and we're starting. I think with the most recent episode, Part Seven, we're starting to feel like it is culminating yeah. to something that we can kind of latch onto. Um, 
but it's still building. It's so hard to say what's going to happen. I'm going to say this. This is one thing I wanted to mention before that just has to do with the show as a whole. And going back to it being helpful, being familiar with David Lynch's other work, his other films, is that I've noticed in everything that David Lynch has done from like Fire Walk With Me on, like pretty much like the first 20 to 30 minutes of like everything he does is really slow moving. Uh Uh-huh throws at you like a lot of really weird seemingly nonsensical information um sometimes feels a little like straining like frustrating feels like it's going nowhere like everything Mm -hmm. um you can sit lost highway even Mulholland drive that's why i feel like the first like five hours of this is just information that maybe doesn't add up maybe some things do maybe some things like feel like you can latch on to but other things are just like that's really, an interesting like, way of thinking about because he does do that. He does yeah. the, that, the, like the first third or more of of any one of his features of his any two hour plus features, Mulholland Drive, etc. That it does feel like it is just excruciating. It can be, especially the first time you see it, especially. And it's like, where is this going? And if you look at this as an eighteen hour movie, which he absolutely is, like he's kind of said a number of times that he views this as as an as an eighteen hour movie, then. We're still just getting to know uh, Betty the actress. Exactly. And I'm even going to go back to Twin Peaks season two after we had spent, if you watch this in real time, we spent an entire summer wondering what happened to Coop after he was shot. Mm -hmm. And they opened that show with, I believe it's a 10 minute sequence of the old man, The the waiter who goes back and forth. And this really frustrating, at the time it was frustrating scene where he's like, trying to get this order signed by Cooper and he's laying there shot possibly dying um I remember watching that in real time and I was pretty young and really confused and just wanted to know what happened to Coop yeah. and that was the longest 10 minutes oh, yeah. of my life yeah um so yeah so five hours now of just trying to like piece things together I feel like it kind of makes sense yeah I do too I that's an interesting way to look at it just He's he's still probably pacing this over 18 hours the same way he would pace one of his movies. But now that he has his first act can, you know, have six hours in it. He's like, great. I can make this even more tedious than I did before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I should say, like, all all any criticism that I would give it, uh, aside. Uh, I the thing that I'm, I'm most delighted in is just how goddamn much I am enjoying it. I, I was really prepared to be cautiously excited about it, mm-hmm. but 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 like knowing that it, in my heart of hearts that I was like, it's not great, but I'm going to tell myself that it's great because it's Twin Peaks and I want it to be. Um, kind of like I did with the Star Wars prequels. So I was kind of <laughs> expecting it to be kind of like that. Yeah. And I am beside myself with how satisfying I am finding this experience and how, how much I enjoy it. I'm finding it satisfying. It's very, like I was emotionally pummeled for like I think days at least days if not weeks after seeing the first four parts um, just because my entire and I, I know this is, sounds super dramatic but the only thing I can compare it to having like a moment in my life where my world had shifted I'm thinking of like 9-11 and the 2016 election mm-hmm. but w- seeing the new Twin Peaks the return was like it changed everything because we didn't know what to expect and I'm I'm glad that that David Lynch kept so much of it a secret. Yeah. So there was really, like, we obviously speculated, but we yeah. couldn't have, other than uh, Michael Sarah being a Lucy <laughs> Andy's kid, couldn't really see much else coming. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, uh, 
also like hats off to them. Nobody has has kept a a production more free of leaks. Oh yeah, in the history of time than this. Like everything, yeah. the tightest sets leak stuff. Nothing has come out yeah. in this. Um, this is a very emotional experience for me watching it too because. I mean, I think like you, all of my mm-hmm. memories of watching the show when it originally aired on television was watching it with my mom. And mm-hmm. I really only watched it because she talked me into it. Like, I remember coming home from school and she was getting, uh, she was all geared up to watch this thing on TV. And like, I'd seen Blue Velvet uh, and I liked it. But, and this was like a murder mystery and I wasn't really into it. And she was like, like really kind of talked me into it. She was like, you should really watch this. It's, it's, it's going to be. Uh, great, and they're they're saying great things about it. And I like sat down like a, you know, slumped down on my chair. Like, all right, <laughs> fine, let's watch it. And of course, you know, like she's dead, Harry wrapped in plastic, and then done. And it's been like a major part of my life. Yeah. And and we watched it together obsessively from beginning to end. And we would read like Entertainment Weeklies and like go through all of the fan theories and try to figure out which ones we liked best. And even years beyond after it had been on the air, I would still like kind of make references about it to her. Um, it's kind of sad that like I don't get to share this one with her now because she died a few years ago. Uh, but it's also there's something kind of like feeling like I'm kind of getting to visit her because I'm seeing all of these old people that we spent time with, like family and friends, yeah. you know, like seeing old Jacoby and old Bobby Briggs is, is kind of comforting and bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that definitely has played a factor in why I have such like an emotional investment in Twin Peaks yeah. and, and especially in the new season. Did I tell you that I got into Twin Peaks because of my mother? Oh, yeah. 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 We, we, yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. I think I'm, I'm now having regret that I didn't start <laughs> a side, an 18 episode podcast with you just to do two hour <laughs> right. analysis of each episode right. because there's just too much. And there's yeah. like, there's, there's so much that we haven't even, we didn't even really talk about Diane. And yeah. um, there's, there's just a lot. And, I know. But I feel like we can't just keep going. All but, right. I'm just going to say this. Okay. Oh, oh God. Yeah, wait, two things. All right, so I don't know if you noticed this, but um, part seven, mm-hmm. which is Father's Day, mm-hmm. aired on Father's Day, uh, we got to see Doc Hayward. Yeah. Which is um, Mark Frost's father. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's all, I, uh, rest in peace. Yes. Um, I didn't know if that was a coincidence or or not, but I thought that was a really sweet. Oh my God, I didn't even consider that. Yeah. That they saved his episode for the one that aired on Father's yeah, Day. Yeah, I don't know. That might have just been co- coincidence, but I, I, I was I thinking. I think that was intentional. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was very sweet. Oh my God, that was really sweet. In any case, even I, if it wasn't intentional, I just thought it was so nice to see Dr. I Hayward love that again. they got Warren that. Frost. That they got that shot before he died. I know. This, got to... So many people in this cast have passed away. Yeah. In fact, that was the other thing that makes me sad. Every single. I, I feel like every single uh, episode part um, <laughs> ends with uh, in memory of someone. Yeah, I know because there's so many of Miguel Ferrer and yeah. Catherine and Coulson, Coulson, yeah, Frank Warren Silva, Frost. Frank Silva, um, yeah, Don S. Davis. Damn it! And that's why I called you the most passionate Twin Peaks fan I've ever known because <laughs> you know the name of the actor who played Major Garland Briggs. Maybe. Later this year, we can get together when the when the series is over yeah. and like see wh- how our feelings have changed from this kind of early midpoint to then. But I think we should check back in in a couple months and yeah. maybe let our audience know uh, what we thought then. Okay. But overall, I would say uh, I can't speak for you. I'll speak for me, but say that if you've ever been a fan of Twin Peaks, then I can't recommend this enough. This is currently my favorite thing that is happening on television, hands down. I love it. I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks so <laughs> fucking much. Uh, 
Anyway, Francine and the Lucid Dream, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the podcast this month. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun, and I love talking about Twin Peaks anytime. Tell you what, when we turn off the mics, we'll keep talking about <laughs> Twin Peaks. Let's do it. Once again, we would like to thank Francine the Lucid Dream for being our guest on the program this month. The next time you can catch the Pink Room Burlesque is Saturday, July 15th at Coney Island, USA, when the Pink Room will present their first ever Mr. Twin Peaks pageant. For more information about that and details about all other upcoming Pink Room Burlesque events, you can visit thepinkroomburlesque.com. I don't have a whole lot to plug this month. I will be hosting the Mr. Twin Peaks pageant at Coney Island on Saturday, July 15th. On Friday, July 7th, I will host Rabbit Hole Productions' Tasselmania, which is also at Coney Island, USA. This show is a burlesque tribute to professional wrestling and will feature a tournament in which eight burlesque superstars will compete in head-to-head strip tease matches to determine the first-ever Rabbit Hole Productions Intercontinental Champion. That's Friday, July 7th at Coney Island. And again, Saturday, July 15th at Coney Island for the Pink Room Burlesque's Mr. Twin Peaks pageant. This has been the Epic Highcast, episode 52. I have been your host, Schaefer Vedarkard, Nelson Luko, will return next month. Be safe, internet. Thank you for listening to the Epic Piecast. We'd love to listen to you, too. So send us your feedback, questions, love mail, hate mail, recipes, and fan fiction to epicpiecast at gmail.com. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network. And there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe and stream on Google Play. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and more, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and the Epic Piecast on all of your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 